Say it without a doubt. What a blessing. What a blessing. Let's have our men that will come and let's pray and let's take this service to the Lord. Good to see all of you here this morning and let's be open to what the Lord has for us. I believe He wants to meet with us. Believe that every time we gather here, but I believe He has something for our hearts today. And let's be open to what He has. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today for the wonderful experience of being born again. Thank you for that Sunday morning in 1972 when you saved me by your grace. And we thank you, Lord, for the assurance of knowing that heaven is our home, that our sins are forgiven, that Jesus lives in our heart, and that you are our heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, for that birth from above. Now, Father, I pray today if there's anyone in this place today that has never experienced this heavenly birth, never been born again, let them be born again this very day. And for all of those that have been born again, make the truth of Jesus Christ real to their heart. Make redemptive truth meaningful to us today. May we leave this service being stirred about our relationship with you. Now honor the Lord Jesus in everything that's done, and we'll thank you and praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once you get out of your seats now, shake hands one with another. Let our visitors know how glad we are to have them.
on the first, all together now. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? He loves me, loves me, he loves me best I know. He Instead, ushers come forward to receive our offering, and as they do so, once again, let me welcome our visitors, and we appreciate so much you being in the service, and we would appreciate if you would take just a moment to fill out a visitor's card. We'd like to send you some information this week about the church. If you were given a bulletin when you came in this morning on the inside, there's a little visitor registration card that you can fill in, tear off, and if not, there are visitor's cards located in the back of the pews. And if you'll take just a moment and fill one of these out, we certainly would appreciate it. But we are glad that you're with us this morning. Let's pray. And let me just make mention of a couple of things. Just one change uh, we need in our deacons meeting. We'll move that back to 5 o'clock rather than 5.30. And then also want to remember the family of Cl Clarice Ferguson. This is one of our members that went home to be with the Lord yesterday. This is Joe Ferguson's mother. And they'll be receiving friends at Turner's Funeral Home after 2 o'clock today. And the funeral will be at 10 o'clock tomorrow at Turner's on Dodds Avenue. So let's remember the Ferguson family be praying for them. Let's pray and you give and be faithful in your giving. The Lord will bless you. Father, we thank you for the joy of being able to give to you. And may we give today as an expression of our love and worship. Bless the needs of all of our congregation. And continue to open our hearts up to what you have for us in this service. In Jesus' name. Amen. Modern times have brought us many comfort. People live in wealth and luxury. 
greater love hath no man than that he lay down his life to his friend. Jesus laid down his life for me one day at a place called Calvary.
When I look at my life, I just can't believe how God's been so good to a sinner like me. But when God looks at me, He looks past my mistakes and through eyes of love sees a trophy of grace. I'm a trophy of grace, a masterpiece of mercy.
was the deer panted for the water so my soul longeth after you you alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship you Rhonda, you've never sung better. Amen. The book of Job, chapter 1. I want you to find your place in the Word of God. The book of Job, chapter 1. What a blessing already to be in the house of the Lord. And Lord, just to speak to our hearts and to warm our hearts with all the things of the Lord. What a blessing it is. I want you to stand this morning as we honor the reading of His Word. I want us to think this morning on this thought. Will the real Christian please stand up? Will the real Christian please stand up? I want us to look at beginning in verse 6 of chapter 1. And we're going to read a very familiar text from Job. 
And then I'm going to give you just a brief thumbnail sketch of the book of Job today as we work through the thoughts that are upon my heart. But beginning in Job chapter 1, verse 6, we read, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the works of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Thank you. you. may be seated. Will the real Christian please stand up? Let's pray. Our Father, this morning as we come, we are mindful that you desire to be worshipped. Every believer's heart should overflow when we think of you. And we do pray, Lord, that everything that you hear will be a sweet and a blessed sound in your ear today. That you would be glorified and that you would be magnified. And that, Lord, not only that we would be blessed, but you would be blessed by your children today. Now, Father, I pray now you'd open our hearts. I look out across this building. And of those that have gathered here, I pray, Lord, that you would touch the heart of each one. I pray, Lord, for each person in the balcony, each person in the wing, and across this auditorium, from the youngest to the oldest, I pray today they'll hear from you. God, give me power. Give me the fullness of the Spirit of the Lord. Give me a fresh anointing today that we might hear from you and that you might give us a word today that'll help us and that will be used in our life to help us to be more like you. Thank you again for your goodness and your grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. I've always been a lover of the life of Abraham Lincoln. I think about a story I read one time how on one occasion Lincoln came home after a very distressing day. And he had a worried look on his face. And when he walked in, his little boy Todd said, Dad, where have you been today? And he replied, I have been to the War Department. And Todd said, Any news? And he looked at him and said, yes, plenty of news, but no good news. It is dark, dark everywhere. Lincoln walked over and sat down on the sofa and he picked up the Bible and he began to read. And a little while his wife noticed that the countenance on his face was much more cheerful than when it was when he came in. And she walked over behind him to see what he's reading and she saw that he was reading the book of Job. I am mindful this morning that the book of Job is a book of many, a book that can be used in our lives in many ways. For one thing, I think of the book of Job as a comforting book. 
Many of a believer going through some dark time in their life, many of a believer going through some great trial in their life has found great comfort in reading about the trials of Job. As you look at Job and all that he went through and how, what the end result was, many of a believer has been comforted, many a believer has been strengthened in their trials by reading the book of Job. But I'm mindful this morning that the book of Job, even though it is a comforting book, above anything else, the book of Job is a challenging book. I really believe that the whole thrust of the book of Job is to present a challenge to every one of us. You see, Job was a very unique man. You read in verse 3 that Job was a man of prosperity. The Bible said that his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. What is meant by that statement is not only identifying the wealth of Job, but identifying the fact that Job was the wealthiest man in that area. Nobody had any more than Job. Job was a very, very prosperous man, a very wealthy man. But you look back in verse 1, and you see what is so unique about Job. Not that he had great wealth, but not only was he a man of prosperity, but he was a man of piety. But the Bible said in verse 1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. He tells us in verse 1 that Job was a man in which there was no blemish on his life. You could not point at one thing in the life of Job that would be embarrassing to the cause of Christ or embarrassing to the life of Job. He was a perfect man, not sinless, but he was blameless. He was a man that was upright in all of his dealings. This was a good man. This was a righteous man, one that feared God and a man that hated evil in his life. That is what is so unique about Job is that he was a man of great prosperity, but he was a man of piety. I think of another feature of Job that you don't find here in chapter 1, but as we often remember about Job, and it's found in James 5, where it talks about the patience of Job, that he was a man of great patience. But you find this unique man, you find this godly man, you find a man that we all should envy and emulate, a man of the highest quality and a man of the greatest character that you could identify. And we see this man in the very beginning, but after we're introduced to Job and the kind of man he is, for the next 41 chapters, it's like Job's world unravels. You find that God let Satan over the next 41 chapters take Job's fortune, touch Job's family, torture Job's flesh, and turn Job's friends. And in a matter of hours, Job was crippled with bankruptcy and crushed with bereavement and covered with boils. And all through the book of Job, we see a man immersed in great suffering. And we see a man immersed in great affliction. But I submit unto you today that the real message of Job is not about a believer's suffering. The real message of Job is about a believer's service. For I want you to understand something about what is going on in Job's life. Everything that is going on in the book of Job is the result of one question that was asked about Job. We read it a moment ago. You notice in verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? We'll examine that more in detail in just a moment, but what Satan was questioning was why Job served God. And everything else that happens in the book of Job is given, and what Job went through was to prove why he served God. 
The word fear there is a word that does not necessarily describe someone trembling at the thought of God like the, a, a, a little kid at school fearful of a bully. No, the ideal is that he had such a reverence for God and such an awe of God and everything about his life was the outflow of his attitude about God. What Satan was really asking is, why does Job serve you? And so he asked that question, and then everything that follows is to show why Job served God. Now, you remember several years ago, and I'll date some of you in this, but several years ago, there was a TV program called To Tell the Truth. How many of you remember that program? What they would do, they'd have three individuals come out, and they would all stand there, and they would be in the dark, and then the light would come on one, and one would say, my name is, and he would give a name. Then the light would come on another, and he would say, my name is, and he would give the same name that the other man had just given. And then the third, the light would come on the third man, and he would say, my name is, and he would give the same name that the other two had given. And over here was a panel, and throughout the program, they would ask a series of questions, and the purpose was to try to figure out which of them was the real so-and-so that had been named. At the very end of the program of the game, the moderator would say, will the real Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so please stand up? The name of the game was to tell the truth. When I think about the book of Job, what the real message of Job is, is to really tell who is the genuine article. The real message of Job is saying to us, will the real Christian stand up? Because what we have in the book of Job is a challenge to several areas of our life. I read the book of Job, I see a man that is suffering. But again, I'm mindful of why Job is suffering. He is suffering just to prove God is proving to Satan why Job serves him. And so when I read about Job's experiences and I read about what is going on in Job, it challenges me in certain areas of my life when it comes to the matter of why that I live for God and why we serve God and why we would fear God. Can I point out three of them this morning? And I want you to listen because I believe the Lord wants to speak to our hearts. The first area that I think of when I read the book of Job is, I think of how our cause for service is challenged. Our cause for service. Why we serve God. You look at chapter 1. It commences with a Job the devout man. But the chapter continues with Job the disgust man. God and Satan began to talk about Job. And the chapter concludes with Job, the distressed man. You notice in verses 6 through 8, God's assessment of Job. For we read there, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And this is fascinating. And Satan appeared in the presence of God as well among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? And Satan said, From to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Now what did such about my servant Job. There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth me and one that escheweth evil. That was God's assessment of Job. He said to Satan, he said, look, there's, no, there's not a better man on the face of the earth. I don't have a greater servant of God on the face of the earth than I do Job. So God's assessment of Job, verse 6 through 8. But you see again in verse 9, Satan's accusation. For he said to the Lord, Doth Job fear God for naught? He was challenging the motive behind Job's service. 
He was saying, you think Job serves you for this reason. He said, I want you to realize Job serves you for altogether reasons. What is being challenged here is why we serve God. What is our motive? What is the cause behind our service? There's a couple of things that comes to my mind as I think about this. When I think about our service, I think, first of all, do we serve God with an ulterior motive? Is there an ulterior motive behind our service for God? Again, Job said that God, that Job feared God for naught. He was saying, God, you think Job is serving you because he loves you. But he said there in verse 10, you put a hedge about him. You have blessed him. You've given him this and you've done this for him. And he said, God, if you'll take away all of this, Job will quit serving you. Job will curse you to the face. What Satan was saying is, Job is serving God with an ulterior motive. He's saying, Lord, the reason Job serves you is for what he's getting out of it. I think sometimes about our service for God, and I think if we were absolutely honest before the Lord, many of us would have to admit that what drives us is an ulterior motive. And what reason we do this and the reason we do that is because of what we'll get out of it. I think about the matter of serving God. If there is one truth that is emphasized in the Bible is this, that they that honor God, God will honor them. Are you listening to me this morning? You honor God with your life. You mark it down somewhere. God will honor you. You put Him first. You follow the will of God. You please Him in every detail of your life. And somewhere God will reward you and God will bless you for that. He tells us in the Gospels that not only will He bless us in eternity, but He'll bless us a hundredfold in this life. I'm saying to you this morning, you live for God, you serve God, and God will bless you for doing so. But I wonder sometimes, do we serve God because of the blessings? Do we serve God for what He does for us? Do we serve God for what we get out of this thing? Sometimes I think we're driven by the desire of, of the applause of men or the accolades of men or the attention and affection of others. We are driven so that somebody might pat us on the back or somebody might compliment what we did or that somebody might think well of us. I've often thought about our giving, the matter of tithing. And the Bible talks about our giving. And I've often wondered, what is the motive behind our giving? The Bible talks about how that if we'll give to God, that He'll bless us in return. And Corinthians talks about in what measure I give to God is the measure in which God will give me back. And I have found through the years that my giving to God, that no matter how big my shovel is, God's shovel's a whole lot bigger than mine. And that I'm promised over and over and over. And one of the chief themes of the Bible, believe it or not, is the matter of giving. That's why I say so much about it. I want to be biblical. Say amen right there. But one of the great themes of the Bible is giving. And it tells us over and over again that if I give, I'm going to reap in return. But I've often wondered, do we give because we want to get in return? Let me ask you a question this morning. If the only promise you had in tithing was that you would have just 10% less, would you still give to God? If the only promise God gave you was that if you took 10% and gave it to Him, the only promise was you'll have 10% less, would you still give to God? What is the motive behind what we do? Why do we do what we do? I heard about a fellow that was talking to his girlfriend one day, and he said to her, honey, he said, I don't have a nice car like Joe. 
And I don't have a beautiful boat like Joe. And I don't have a, a good job like Joe. And I don't have a big house like Joe, uh, Joe. And I don't have dark wavy hair about Joe. But I hope you don't mind. And she said, no, I don't mind. But tell me a little bit more about Joe. You'd have to wonder a little bit about her motives. I think about our motives are often in question. If there were no promises of blessings, if, there was, if we knew that if I serve God, I'm not going to get anything out of it. God will not do one thing for me. I'll not get one blessing. I'll never receive anything for doing it. Would we serve God? Or is there an ulterior motive in why we serve God? I remember a former member years ago that had moved to another area. I saw him and I asked him how he was doing, asked where he was going to church. And he said to me, told me where he was going. And I asked him, I said, why did you choose that particular church? And this is what he said to me. Because it's good for my business. Do we have an ulterior motive? Do we have an ulterior motive in why we serve God? Satan said, Job is serving you with an ulterior motive. He's serving you for what he gets out of it. But second of all, do we have the ultimate motive? It became clear, Job, Satan asked him, and uh, Satan said, he's serving you for alter, with an ulterior motive, and God said, all right, prove it. And Job, what he went through in the very beginning there was to prove why that he served God. And it became very clear that Job was not serving God for the material, but Job was serving God for the spiritual. You look in verses 13 through 22, and there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house and you go on down you see how that he lost everything that he had he lost his flocks he lost his stock he lost his children and the latter part of verse uh, chapter 1 in verse 21 said naked came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away blessed be the name of the Lord in all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly it became very obvious that Job was not serving God with some kind of ulterior motive. Job was not serving God because God had blessed him. Job was serving God because he loved him. Job was not serving God because of what he got out of it. Job was serving God because his one desire was to honor God. I ask you this morning, what is your motive? Why do you serve God? Is there an ulterior motive or is there the ultimate motive? And the ultimate motive in serving God is I'm going to serve God whether I get anything or not. I will serve God because I love Him. I will serve God because He is worthy to be served. Amen? I submit unto you that if that be your motive in serving God, you'll serve God in difficult days. You'll serve God in dead days. You'll serve God in dry days. You'll serve God in distressing days. If you are serving God for one reason, and that is that you love Him, you'll serve God no matter what. Our cause for service is challenged. Why do we serve God? But there's a second thing that this book speaks to my heart about. Not only is our cause for service challenged, but our conditions for service are challenged. I think about a man that had been driving all night, and he pulled into a local park to catch some shut-eye. And just as he dozed off, there was a knock on his window, and he opened his eyes, and there stood a jogger. He rolled the window down, and the jogger said, uh, Pardon me, but do you know what time it is? And he said, Yes, it's 627. Jogger ran off. He rolled his wind up and laid back down, just dozed off, and somebody knocked on his wind again. He opened his eyes. It was another jogger. He rolled the wind down and said, yes. And he said, I'm sorry to bother you, but do you have the time? And he said, yes, it's 634. 
He got him a piece of paper and he wrote on it, I do not have the time, and stuck it in the window. He laid back, closed his eyes, and no sooner had he dozed off, and there was another knock on the window, and he rolled his window down, and there's another jogger said, What is it? He said, It's 642. Well, I think Job and everything that was happened, he felt like he couldn't win for losing. Because not only did he find himself losing everything, but you also find that eventually that God let Satan touch his flesh. And we see in this matter that he was not only challenged as to why that he served God. Satan found out that he had no ulterior motive. But then he was challenged as to what would stop Job from serving God. He was challenged about how far Job would go in serving God. His conditions for service were challenged. Now listen to me. I have known through the years many, one after another, one after another, one after another, that dropped by the wayside when things got a little tough. When their little worlds were shattered, then they quit serving God. And they gave up and they backed out and they backed down and they backed off. And it was like this thing discouraged them or this thing devastated them or this thing knocked the props out from under them. And they backed out of the way and they quit serving God. I ask you this morning, what is it, what, is, what will it take to stop you from serving the Lord? For example, I look at the story of Job. And I ask a couple of questions. For one thing, will we serve God when our family discourages us? Will we serve God when our family discourages us? Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. Then said his wife unto him. Chapter 2, verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. Now I'm trying to... Trying to Maybe feel a little bit what Job was feeling. You could only imagine how devastated this man was. He's lost everything. There's graves on the hillside where he's lost his children, every one of them. You can only imagine how his heart is broken. You can only imagine how Job is feeling. And now you find another conversation between God and Satan. And Job ends up covered with boils. And now what does his wife say? Job, why don't you curse God and die? You know what Mrs. Job was saying to her husband? Job, why do you serve? Won't you quit? Job, won't you throw in the towel? Won't you give it up? Can you not imagine how discouraging that must have been to Job? He's lost everything and now the only thing he has left in this world is his wife. The only family that he has left is now telling him, Job, curse God and die. Job, quit. Can you imagine how discouraging that was? I think about our family relations, and our family relations can be the most gratifying relationship on earth, or it can be the most grieving relation on earth. Our family life can be a very delightful experience, or it can be a very distressing experience. Sometimes our families, knock, our families and what's going on in our families knock the moorings out from under us. For example, what if your wife no longer supported you? Would you serve God? What if your husband no longer supported you? Would you serve God? What if your wife said to you, why don't you curse God and die? Why don't you quit? Would you serve God? What if your wife walked off and left you? Would you still serve God? 
What if your husband said, I'm tired of you going down to that church and living for God and praying and, and all that stuff. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm going to leave you. Would you still serve God? What if your children suddenly abandon everything you'd ever taught them? You raised those children, reared, I should say, those children. And when they were born, you held that little child in your hands. And in your heart was a multitude of dreams for that child. And I think about our children. No child will ever know until they become a parent how deeply they can hurt the heart of their parent. When you raised, reared them and you had all these wonderful ideals for them and down the road you had these wonderful pictures of what they would be and what you wanted them to be. And you taught them what is right and you taught them what is wrong. And you brought them up right. And you brought them up the way you brought them up because there was all these things that you wanted them to be and you wanted them to become one day. And then one day they broke your heart. And they, what they did took a dagger and stuck it in your soul and ripped it back and forth. Stepped on your dreams and some of them stepped on them so they were crushed to where they cannot ever be repaired. What if your children broke your heart and said, I'm no longer going to live for God. I know, Mama, you taught me to live right. Daddy, I know you taught me to live right. You taught me not to do this. You taught me not to do that. But I really don't care what you taught me. This is the way I'm going to live. Would you still serve God? Will you keep on serving God? Job's family. She said, Job, why don't you quit? Will we serve God when our family discourages us? I ask you something else. Second of all, will you serve God when your friends distress us? Will we serve God when our friends distress us? I read a story the other day. I like stories of humor, as you know. And I was, I, this is a true story. It's about an airline pilot. And he hammered the landing. I mean, when he landed, he hammered the thing, and it jarred everybody. Well, it was the airline. The airline had a policy which required the first officer to stand in the doorway as the passengers exited and to smile at them and thank them for flying this particular airway. He knew what he'd done, and he knew when he stood out there, somebody was going to complain about it. But everybody kept getting off one by one and one. And he thought, well, maybe nobody's going to say anything until the last passenger got off, and it was this little bitty lady. And she looked at him, she said, Sonny, mind if I ask you something? He said, why no, ma'am. She said, did we land or, or, or we shot down? <laughs> and I think about Job and everything that he went through. I think about all of Job's experiences. But when it comes to his friends, Job had to feel like he had been shot down. You notice chapter 2, notice verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends... Heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. There was Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite. For you theologians, Bildad, the Shuhite, is the smallest man in the Bible. Zophar, the Namathite. Some of you will get that a little bit later. Bildad, the Shuhite. But anyway, aren't you glad you have a preacher that gets those great nuggets out of the Word of God? But they made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. 
And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now imagine, this is his friends. They come in. When they walk in the door, they just break down and start wailing. And you know, imagine how Job felt. And here they are just wailing and they sat down over there and for seven days and seven nights they don't say a thing. And then finally when they do say something, they began to accuse Job. One of his friends said, Job, you'll know the reason you're having the problems you're having. It's because you're not right with God. Another said, Job, you know why you're suffering? There's some sin in your life. There's something you've got to get right. There's something you've not made right with God. And another one spoke up and said, Job, they're right. The reason you're going through everything you're going for, through is because you need to confess your sin. You need to look at your life and find out what's wrong. Now let me ask you something. There are times in our life when we, those that we love, and those that are our friends suddenly turn on us and become like a ravening wolf. They lie on us, they tear us down, they put us down, they attack us from right and left. I want to ask you something. Do you serve God? Will you keep on serving God no matter what your friends do? I was sitting one day and someone looked, asked me and several preachers and one of them asked me, said, Brother Trivet, what has been the most disappointing thing in the ministry? Brother Trevor, what has been the one thing that has been the most disappointing thing in the ministry? What is it that has broke your heart the most? And this was my answer. I said, I guess the most disappointing thing that I've ever experienced in the ministry, and that which has broke my heart the most, is to pour my life into somebody. To love somebody. To help them. Whenever they needed me, I would be there. Whenever they were in this situation, they would call, I would go. Whenever I would be in this situation, they would be, have this problem, and they wanted my help. I was there. And then somewhere, they turn on me and run me down, tear me down, put me down, do everything in their power to tear my name down and destroy my name. I have done things for people before, do 100 good things, but do one thing they didn't agree with, and they threw out the 100 good things I have done and just hated me and tore me down for that one thing they didn't agree with. And every one of us experienced those kind of things. That's not exclusive to a pastor. That's true about all of us. Your friends turn your back on you. They tear you down. They put you down. They lie about you. You've been friends for years, but here's the issue. Will you serve God when your friends turn against you? When your family discourages you? When your friends distress you? Will you still serve God? What is the issue here? What will it take to stop us? I read the story about a little old frail man that went west, arrived in a stagecoach, arrived on a stagecoach in this little town, and he was hired as the bartender of the local saloon. The owner showed him all the ropes about it, and then he gave him a word of warning. He said, I want to warn you. He said, if, any, if you ever hear Big John's coming to town, he said, get out of here as fast as you can. He said, I warn you, don't take me lightly. If anybody, you ever hear Big John's coming to town, you get out of here as fast as you can. 
Well, he began working and several weeks went by and one day this big, strong cowboy walked into the saloon. His face was white and he hollered out, Big John's are coming to town. Big John's coming to town. And boy, the patrons scattered right and left, out the door, out the window, back door, everywhere they could. They were just running right and left. Before the little bartender could get out, the room turned dark when this huge figure filled the door. He came riding through the door on a buffalo using a rattlesnake for a whip. He flung the snake into the corner, knocked over the tables, and then took his fist, and he split the bar in half, and he said, give me a drink. He handed him a drink. He took the bottle and bit the top off with his teeth, down the contents with one gulp, and then let out a belch that shattered the mirror. Then he turned to walk out, and the nervous bartender said, would you like another drink? He said, no, I ain't got time. Big John's coming to town. Well, I think old John. Joe felt like big, would you not agree? Joe felt like Big John had come to town. But here's the point. Job, no matter what happened in his life, his family let him down. His family crushed his heart. His friends turned against him. But Job kept on serving God. What are the conditions to which we'll serve God? Is our skin paper thin? We'll give up over anything. Or do we drop our tent stakes in the omnipotence of God and say, no matter what goes, I'll serve God. What are the conditions to serving the Lord? A third and a final thing. Are you with me? Say amen. A third thing I, this book speaks to me about and challenges me is not only my cause for service, why I serve God, my conditions, what it will take to stop me, but my concepts of service are challenged by the book of Job. I think about everything Job went through. But on top of it all, there was the total silence of God. Now think about it. Do you realize in the book of Job, nowhere does it ever tell us that God ever told Job why he was going through what he was going through. Job had no idea. We know because we read about it. But you've got to think about it. Job had no idea why he was going through what he was going through. He didn't know that God and Satan had made a wager in the very beginning. He didn't know that God had bragged on him. You often say you don't want God to brag on you. Well, you bragged on Job. Look what he went through. Amen? But he bragged on Job, and, and Satan questioned that, and God said, all right, go ahead. And Satan, everything that happened was to prove why Job was serving God. But through it all, God never one time told Job why he was going through what he was going through. And the truth is, you never find anywhere in the Bible that he ever told Job why he went through what he went through. I'm sure Job knows, but what you have in the book of Job is this total silence of God when he's going through all this. Now, there was a time, eventually, God did answer Job. But Job, for example, notice chapter 3, notice verse 11. He said, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? He said, why didn't I die prematurely? Why didn't I die when I was born? Verse 12, he said, why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breast that I should suck? In verse 23, he says, why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God has in? Job is saying, why, why, why? He has no idea. And God doesn't tell him. And even when God does respond, he doesn't answer Job. He questions Job. But for the longest period of time, there is the total silence of God. Now listen to me. 
During these times of life, I want you to know our concepts of God in service are going to be severely challenged. For example, false concepts will be shattered. Our false concepts will be shattered. Have you ever, I've seen this before. Somebody come to me and say, Brother Ken, boy, I give my life to God and I want to serve God and we gave our life to the Lord and dedicated our home to Jesus and we started tithing of our income and Brother Ken, everything has gone wrong. And I hear, I've heard that time and time and time again. Brother Ken, what is going wrong? Did we make a mistake? Did we take a wrong road? Brother Ken, why? And you know what I think behind that way of reasoning is that we think, this is our ideal, that if I'll put God first in my life and I'll begin to tithe and maybe give a little bit more than my tithe and I'll begin to serve God and honor God, then God is going to bless me and I'm never going to have any trouble in my life again. We, don't we often think that way? Don't we think that if I put God first that He's going to put a hedge about me and prevent this from happening in my life or He'll stop this from happening in our life? We have that concept that if I serve God, then nothing bad will ever happen to me. That if I put God first, then my troubles and trials are over. It is glory all the way. And what happens is somewhere you find yourself immersed in, a, in, in tr troubles and trials and your concepts are shattered. You find yourself suffering. And may I say today that, listen to me, anybody, anybody, put this down, anybody that would tell you the reason you suffer, as I've often heard these joy boys on the radio say, that if you serve God and send me $100 a month, then you'll never be sick again. That's a lie straight out of the pits of hell. Can I get an amen right there? Some of the most godly people I've ever known in my life suffered the most. But what we have this idea that if I serve God, then nothing's ever going to happen in my life, and then trouble comes along and our concepts are shattered. And our foundation is shaken and bad things happen. We begin to wonder, God doesn't love me anymore. God didn't keep His word. God don't keep His promises. God didn't answer my prayer. No, it's not that. You had the wrong concept about serving God. Our false concepts are shattered. But I'll say this, our faith concepts are strengthened. What do I mean by faith concepts? Faith concepts of God in trial says... God has a right to do whatever He wants to do in my life. God has the right to do anything He wants to do with me. If God wants to throw me in the midst of this trial, He has a right to do it. Faith concepts accepts that. Faith concepts does not measure life whether or not it's good or bad. Faith concepts measures it in light of the sovereignty of God in our life and His right to do whatever He would choose with our life. And when we go through the trials and when our little world is shattered, if we have faith concepts, it'll strengthen our belief that God has the right. But not only that, but God has a reason in what we go through. I believe this. I believe this. There is a reason behind everything that happens in life. And if you've got faith concepts, you may say like Job, why? Why is light given to a man whose way is hedged in? God, what did I do? Lord, I tried my best to live for you. Lord, I brought my children to you morning after morning after morning. 
God, I prayed for them. Now I don't even have my family. My wife over here wants me to quit. God, why is light given to a man whose way is hedged in? We find ourselves, but yet behind it all, we know that God has a reason. Faith concepts also recognizes that God has a reward. You might say, why do bad things happen to good people? It really boils down to this. So the real Christian will stand up. Why God challenges us? Why do we serve God? Are we serving God just so somebody will brag on us? And I've, Listen, I think people ought to be bragged on. I think people ought to be recognized. I think people ought to be complimented. They ought to be acknowledged for what they do. I believe that. Well, what if nobody don't? If that's been your reason for serving God, then you're going to quit. But if you are the real, when you, God challenges us as to why do we serve God out of one reason, and that is because we love Him. Do we, what are the conditions where we serve God when the bottom falls out or where we get discouraged and call it quits? It'll reveal whether or not our faith is thin as a sheet of paper or whether or not our faith is grounded in the Word of God. How we react to what goes on in our lives. And it'll show who's really real. It'll make the real Christian stand up when they're engulfed in difficulty. It'll strengthen our concepts in the God that we know. Let's stand our feet, please. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Across this building today, there may be those that are unsaved. There may be those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. In a moment, we're going to begin to sing. And I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat. I want you to come today and let us tell you about a wonderful, wonderful Savior. You that are saved, are you glad you got saved? Will you say a big amen? amen. All of those amens testified of somebody that thanks God for the day in a service like this that they came to Jesus Christ. And when we began to sing in a the moment, there are going to be a number of deacons down here praying. Staff members are going to be down here. And when we begin to sing in just a few moments, I want you to get up out of your seat and walk down here. And I see you come. There'll be somebody that's going to meet you. And they're going to take the Bible. And they'll take the Word of God. And they'll show you how you can be saved. Show you how you don't have to go to hell when you die. But show you how heaven can be your home. How your sin can be forgiven. I want you to do that in just a few moments. I invite you to come. You're here. There was a day that you got saved. You trusted Christ. Somewhere you drifted from the Lord. You got away from God. I want to ask you this morning, won't you come back and serve God? Won't you get up out of your seat? You've been running. You've been fighting God. Won't you get up out of your seat? Make beeline to this altar and come and get right with the Lord today. I promise you He'll forgive you of your sin. And God will take you and use you. I want you to do that. But then all across this building, the majority of us today are Christians. Doing our best to please Him doing our best to live the kind of life that will honor Him. I want to ask you something. I want, you to, I want the book of Job to challenge you today, challenge you as to your cause for service. Why do you serve God? What is the real motive? Look at your heart. Think about it. 
Ask the Spirit of God to answer the question. Not you, because many times me and you are not honest with ourselves. But if we let God speak to us, He'll show us the truth about us. What is our real motive in serving God? If nobody ever brags on you again, would you still do what you do? If God never blessed you for what you do, would you still do it? If you can say yes, then you're serving God with the right motive. You're serving God because it's right to serve God. You're serving God because you ought to serve God. You're serving God because you love Him. But if you serve God because of what you're getting out of it, that's the wrong motive in serving God. Your conditions. What's it going to take to stop you from serving God? Are you going to get down into Mardi Gras when every little thing comes along, or are you going to serve God? Is your faith paper thin, or is it as deep as the promises of God? What will it take to stop you? What will it take you to give up? You ought to come and say, Dear God, I want to serve you. God, I want to serve you no matter what tomorrow holds. You saved me and you've been too good to me, dear God. Give me what it takes to serve you no matter what. No matter what my family does, no matter what my friends do, let me serve you. And maybe your concepts in God have been shattered by what you've been going through. You may want to come down here, you've been bitter against God, you've been angry with God, you've accused God of not answering prayer, you've accused God of not keeping His word. You've been bitter because things didn't work out the way you thought they should have worked out. You ought to get down here and come and say, Dear God, I must confess that my concepts have been wrong, but dear God, you have a right to do whatever you want to do in my life. You have a reason. I leave that up to you. I just submit to your will. I believe the Lord wants to help somebody today. I believe He wants to help many of us today. My own heart has been spoken to. I confess, and I've been searched as I have prepared for what I share with you. But I want you to come today. Serve God. Serve God. Serve God for the right reason. Serve God no matter what. Come and pour, pour it out, lay it out before God. Father, this morning in Jesus' name, what a wonderful example of a man whose whole world was turned upside down simply because somebody questioned his motive. But yet it was proven through everything that he went through, why that he served you. It was proven that nothing would stop him from serving God. Yes, he got discouraged. Yes, he questioned God, but he didn't quit. But he left it in the hands of God. He was able to testify, I don't know what's going on, but I do know this, that when I am tried, I will come forth as gold. He knew God had a right, and he knew God had a reason, and he just left it with God. Across this building today, Lord, maybe somebody has served God with the wrong motive. Speak to our hearts. Maybe somebody's given up. May they come today instead of retiring, may they be refired. Deal with all of us today. May the real Christian please stand up. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.